welcome to the Acolytes of Merlin. Today we are doing a kind of special panel discussion podcast. Uh, so uh, to introduce the panel, uh, I, we're, we are your hosts, Johnny. And John. And also today we have... Uh, I'm Matthew. I'm Michael. And Tim. Alright, so today we figure we, we're going to do some more broader discussions about science fiction and fantasy... Uh, why it's important, what it means to us, various debates about um, different stories in the genres. Uh, we might get a little bit into specifics, but we're not going to uh, just, but there'll be more ex- to explain different points that we want to make and stuff. So, uh, anything anyone wants to start with? Well, considering we just spent the last hour discussing things, I think we've exhausted many topics. <laughs> all right, well, all right. Well, not, not nearly enough. We could go for right. I like introduction yeah. into okay. the genre. So what, all right, well, so what was your introduction or first experience with science fiction or fantasy? However you wanted to find that. So uh, how we got introduced into fantasy? Um, well, I had an older brother who was interested in it, and he... He purchased a lot of books, and I started reading them. This was probably 30-some-odd years ago. Right, so that was fantasy. I'm going to say sci-fi. We were old enough to actually attend Star Wars Live 1977. I was 10. He was 6. We actually saw it at a drive-in. I don't know if you remember. It was a double Double feature with a swarm. (laughs) And so that was our introduction cinematically to sci-fi with Star Wars, but... Literature-wise, fantasy with Lord of the Rings when my dad, who had a second edition, I think, I have it now, of mm. the Lord of the Rings, gave it to me when I was 12 to read. And then after that, it was all D&D and fantasy mm-hmm. for the next few years. Because fantasy books. really didn't... Well, in comic books. Because fantasy books really didn't get big in the movies until the early 21st century. There was not many good fantasy movies around. A lot of sci-fi movies, yeah. but not a lot of fantasy. I honestly feel like sci-fi doesn't... You don't really hit, pick up with fantasy until Lord of the Rings, honestly. But that can... <laughs> yeah, they used to have an animation of Lord of the Rings first. That Frodo of the Nine Fingers. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> and there's a song singing Frodo of the Nine oh Fingers. And it was narrated by um, John Huston, who was... Uh, hmm. And he was Gandalf as well, but he's also the narrator. Hmm. And they never, they never they got finished. to... Um, I don't think they finished it. Now, you know what? Yeah, is that the one by uh, Bakshi? Yeah, it was, so there was two, right? There was like a really weird one that was the, um, I, I want to say it was the Lord of the Rings, and then the it was a Rankin-Bass, which was like the Twin Towers and Return of the King that kind of took place after that. Mm. And they had, um, where there's a whip, there's a way, yeah. was, was mm. one of the songs. But, um, but that was animated, mm-hmm. so... Yeah, I mean, I think you're right. Back sh- and then Bakshi had just Fellowship in Two Towers and never did Some, return like that. Yeah, so not I quite what you got today. <laughs> <laughs> a little different. Uh, oh, so for, for me, it was definitely Star Wars. But it's just kind of this. I'm not. I'm not as old as some of the other panel members, um, but uh, definitely just growing up with Star Wars. I I truly don't think I had a moment where I saw Star Wars for the first time in theaters until um, The Force Awakens, because even for... Revenge Phantom Menace, you didn't? Well, I saw... Well, I, I don't even know if I got to see Phantom Menace in theaters. Attack of the Clones, I saw it in theaters, but I don't really remember it that well, mm. um, just because I was so young when that came out. 
uh, it would have only been like five or six. And then for Revenge of the Sith, uh, it got that PG-13 rating, and I was like 11 or 12. Oh. And so, so, well, what my parents made me do is they made me read the novelization first oh. before I could go see the movie, so That's I knew funny. what was going to happen. I do remember reading like the... YA version of the novelization, yeah, of Revenge of the Sith. <laughs> yeah, no, it's funny. I I had to read that before I went to the theater, so I didn't. So until until Force Awakens, I never like to, got to go in and experience something brand new. And then wait, that that ate the clock until you turned thirteen. Was that the point behind that? Well, no, they just said you know you you get to read it and then you get to go see it. Um, so I didn't I didn't turn thirteen because I don't know when because I just, I remember the summer I turned thirteen. It was a really good summer for 13-year-old movies. It was like Transformers and <laughs> G.I. Joe and all those. You know, they're not great movies, but if you're 13, it's explosions. Yeah, it's very, yes. <laughs> Michael Bay. 13 is Nirvana. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Michael Bay should win an Oscar when you're 13. They should have 13-year-old Oscars. Michael Bay should win every category. That's it, but then he doesn't expand beyond that. Yeah. It's <laughs> he stays at that level, and then you're like, yeah, this is kind of ridiculous. Exactly. Like, I've seen every Star Wars in the theater except for Solo. It was the first one that I didn't mm. have the desire to, to go see. I, and I saw it on a plane and it was good, but it wasn't like Star Wars good. I would agree. I actually, <laughs> I actually thought Rogue One was Rogue One's Rogue fantastic. One's the ones that I've seen. Rogue One's fantastic. Rogue One you can definitely argue is the best of the new ones. Yeah, there, I mean, Yes, there's a c- consistency argument that you can make with that. If you eliminated the 1, 2, and 3 and just had Rogue One, I think that they're, that is better than the first, the, the second trilogy Altogether, the although all the there are parts of, of Revenge of the Sith that I like a lot. Parts of it, but the first one, Phantom Menace, was horrible. I think Attack of the Clones is the worst, though, just because I think the love scene stuff is so bad that like oh, yeah. it's, it's in the like. <sighs> have, have you seen the Have you seen the Lego version? No, uh, I, good. we have that. I have played like, the games, but I haven't. Well, no, but they they have making fun of the scene when they're in the conveyor belt on Geonosis, and they're like, "This is just like a video game," you know, and have, uh, like getting that's coins a, and going backwards. Well, that's and, a, that's a level in the Lego Star Wars, which is yeah. probably a better version than the movie. Uh, well, but I heard Lucas just decided he wanted that, and it had nothing to do with the story. Like, oh, let's just put this in there because it was cool, and something else had come out right around something. there. That he wanted to do something like it. <laughs> I, know, I know behind the scenes, Natalie Portman hated it. Well, because she doesn't she, do anything in well, the scene. She well, just she gets was like... convinced that it was just a practical joke he was playing. On her. <laughs> 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 they set up this whole thing as a joke on her and Hayden Christensen. And then it made it. Like, oh. Well, so much of this movie had to be filmed in front of green screen. I mean, it's yeah. hard to interact with things that don't exist. I remember yes. with the Hobbit movies, I, I think there's this thing with... Uh, we're getting a little off topic, but like Ian McKellen was just so sad that like he wasn't acting across any other actors. It was just a lot of it was just him talking to a screen. Well, well, um, there's a there's a scene in the um, in the the trilogy of the Hobbit, which was ridiculous that they extended that book into three movies. Yes, <laughs> there's universal. Yeah, like in, in the book, the Battle of Five Armies is like three pages, and he gets knocked unconscious, and it's like two hours of the third movie. And, 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 and it's not. Cool. A, and they had those giant worms. They came. I was just like, that's ruined Middle Earth the, for me when those giant worms. The, came the, out. the worms and just Thranduir on the. There's been two. Like he got his movies mixed up. Yeah, which, but, but no, there was a scene in there when they're having the. Saruman and yeah. <laughs> Gandalf and Elrond and who's the fourth? 
the Saruman scene. Yeah, where yeah. none of them are actually Galadriel. They, I think. Yeah, Galadriel. Saruman. None of them yeah. are. None of them are even on the same continent. They filmed them all at different oh parts. My and they just kind of put them all in. Oh, like, like the actors are not the actors. They, oh they, my god, never in the same space for that entire scene. You know, that's, and it, just, that's, it actually really took what little magic there was about that. Because I think that scene's scene kind of cool, but knowing that kind of like really. Well, and it's, and it's funny when you know it and you look back, you're like, oh, I can kind of see where the eyes aren't lined up right and that's, but shadows. Yeah, and that was just a little, you know, yeah, right. Um, but that, I mean, the whole Hobbit, I, I, you know, the first three were fantastic. It was like, it's the book come to life other than the elf love story, which wasn't in the, the novels at all. Oh. But they had to have some, you know, something what there. Was the orc? Got, you know, vendetta that he kept. That was not oh, the Hobbit at all. Right? With like, Thorin. That was like a huge. No, like, no, I meant in the first, in the Lord of the Rings. No, I know they the, had the love series was, but then they had the elf dwarf love thing oh, yeah, in the Hobbit. Was, I was like, that was weird. It was. No, it wasn't even a good love story. Or something like that. No, it was. It was like everyone can be loved. Yeah, it was really. So, John, I mean, we we talked but not we haven't really done any broader discussions on the podcast yet what were your was your kind of introduction well with fantasy it was where many of my generation was with harry potter it was uh, my uh, second grade teacher read the first two to our class and then um and my dad took over and then eventually started reading them on my own um for sci-fi there were a few individual um books like a stranger in a strange land um that i would read but the the one that really got the first one that got me hooked was the foundation trilogy by Mm. asimov which i think someone's doing maybe amazon or there was talks of um jonathan nolan christopher nolan's Mm. brother doing it yes but that was a while ago. And I don't oh, know. Which I, that's what I was telling you about, which is one of my favorite series of all time. So I honestly think a lot of these series, a lot of these places are just buying up the rights. Oh, they, yeah. You have to. Yeah, they, yeah. They, yeah. they need content. Yeah. After the, the market is right for it. Like, that, yeah. just like, like Sanderson's optioned his stuff and like that probably Has he produced. already? Yeah, he's optioned oh, a lot of his Mistborn, stuff. Right? Yeah, Mistborn. Oh, Wheel of Time was in production purgatory for however many years wasn't it but, and they got it so it was a dark tower but, <laughs> but yeah, that's a whole like, other discussion so I, I think with <laughs> with the game of thrones i'd be really interested because amazon bought the rights to tolkien you know what they're going to do because mm-hmm. i don't know exactly yeah. what yes. rights they bought but because game of thrones was so good and i've actually never seen a full episode of that huh. is that <laughs> you have to differentiate yourself like is someone just going to say oh it's just like game of thrones but not as good you know like like what is going to be different about the content they're buying that they want to spend, you know, tens of it's, millions, if not hundreds of millions to produce, and people are just like, oh, you know, it's, it's, especially, it's, is it different enough? And especially with Lord of the Rings, especially given that the movies are so, like, acclaimed and loved, like, what, they have to differentiate themselves from both Game of Thrones, but the movies also. Right. And so I'll be really well, interested to see the, what they do. The positive there is with the Similarian and stuff, I mean, he had a really well-defined world. So you can yes. write a lot more stories into that world. Yes. Speaking of that, yes. you owe me the Inklings? No, I give it back to oh, you, you I did? thought. I'm 99.9% sure I give okay, it back I to you. Um, anyway, but anyway, but it was but, interesting. Yeah. <laughs> no, what reminded me of what we, what reminded me of that was he and C.S. Lewis were, were best friends and they talked all the time and Tolkien because he had written 
like this detailed background history of the whole world. He used to make fun of C.S. Lewis. He's like, oh, you just put a castle here, uh, a ruin there. He's like, there's no backstory to to Narnia. There's a Narnia, yeah. And whereas his, there is, it's called the Bible. <laughs> you know, but his was all about the language and the races in the language, and he used to give him a hard time about that hmm. because he didn't think it was. He did his research. Wasn't who, who Tolkien? Tolkien. Oh yeah. Well, there'll never be another. To me, obviously, I think he's the the Godfather and grandfather because it took like thirty years between the Hobbit and the Lord of the Rings, and he wrote like four. You know, well, books. And, no writer now is only ever going to publish four books. You know, they're going to try to pump out as much as they can, so you're not going to have that depth of world building I think that, that Tolkien did you know? no I, I I think in that way I, I, I would agree just because it's t- Tolkien created the world and then set a story in that world whereas a lot of authors there now there are exceptions but mo- most most authors will write the plot of their story m- as they're creating their world more so than Tolkien. So in that sense, yeah, I don't think just because of how people write now is so different than... It will be interesting to see who ends up writing the stories in, in, in Middle-earth. Oh, like the screen, like the screenplays. What authors will... Because if they get rights to write these stories, you could probably... You know, just like look at Sherlock Holmes. How many different authors after, you know, Sir Arthur Conan Doyle... You know how many other people wrote Sherlock Holmes stories that are just as good? They're interesting and stuff like that. You could, you know, you could have a Sanderson write a story about Middle Earth. Yeah, although I, you know? I, I wouldn't want Sanderson writing that, but yes. <laughs> yeah, but I'm just saying it would be really interesting to have some really top top authors, you know, take a take, yeah, take it. I, I would a lot of pressure. Paper and, oh yeah, yes, you, yeah, a lot, lot, lot of pressure because it'd be like the Sanderson Jordan thing, but more. <laughs> um, yeah. So. Uh, so is that? Yeah, that's, yeah, that's my, and, and so basically, I my uh, experience with sci-fi is less robust than fantasy, but I I kind of use foundation as an expectation of what science fiction will, would give me. As, okay, as a reader. no, that's yeah, as, as fair or not fair as that is. No, no, that's interesting. Yeah, for for myself, it, the earliest would have been Star Wars as far as sci-fi goes. Uh, I think I, my parents would tell me, but it would, I would have watched Star Wars at first when I was like three or four. <laughs> I mean, like watched as as much as you can comprehend stuff, <laughs> um, and that would that was kind of sparked that. Uh, fantasy was uh, like John definitely Harry Potter for me, uh, kind of sparking that love, um, and so th- those are kind of the two growing up, the two kind of tentpole franchises or series uh and then because harry potter was the only i think it might have been one of the only things i would have read up until like seventh grade sixth or seventh grade and then i started reading series of unfortunate events and pendragon and some of the other ya stuff yeah uh, well series of unfortunate events isn't sci-fi fantasy mm-hmm. but yeah yeah fifth sixth seventh grade is when that would have been for me do you think we would have um vaulted into it the same way if not for Harry Potter, I don't think anyone could, anything could have taken its place, but it still would have so, so happened for us. So you're saying if Harry Potter say didn't exist, mm-hmm. would we still? I, I, I think probably. I think probably just because they're like maybe I end up reading Pendragon or something else that would have 
that could have done that. Not mm-hmm. again the same magnitude of Harry Potter, but um, maybe a similar a similar function. Well, and, and I think that that's the difference between when Tim and I were growing up and when you guys were growing up. I mean, there was almost no fantasy authors. I mean, we could we could tell you who exactly were the writers. You had Robert E. Howard doing Conan. Dragonlance series. You had the... Well, that was even later. That was that... Was that so, Anne McCaffrey, right? Well, that, no, she was the Dragon Riders oh, of Kern, that's, which is oh. great, which is really good. Okay. Um, but, but that was even later. It was, you know, like, Tolkien... I mean, Tolkien created the genre, basically. Yes. Oh, yeah. And yeah. so, and, and then it was... Today, those exact... Michael Moorcock with uh, Elric. Elric. Yeah, and, and that was and that was about it. That's all we had. There was hmm. now there was no young adult. You kind of started with Lord of the Rings because Conan yeah. was not something your parents wanted you to read. <laughs> um, and now the choices, you know, are just so vast. Where someone you know like Charlotte's age can get into fantasy at a much younger age than we could have. Because, like I said, at twelve, I still didn't get all of Lord of the Rings because it was pretty, you know, it was pretty heavily high fantasy lit you know it's not easy to read for a young person whereas now you have all this other starter things that you can read which i think is awesome yeah and to be honest i didn't complete reading lord of the rings until college because i'd read it and i'd read i well i'd read it i believe in like eighth grade but i wouldn't have understood half of like or most of what the series was kind of doing. I, I read uh, the books long after the movies, yeah. and that re- uh, that honestly really helped. I, yes, I agree, and I, I I will say I will say this: I Lord of the Rings is one of is one of the only adaptations where I enjoy the experience of the movies more than the books. I'm not going to use the word better, but I enjoy kind of the experience of watching the movies more than the experience of reading the books. Yeah, and and I think that's the same for a lot of people because it is hard to get through Lord of the Rings. It's not you know everyone's cup of tea, particularly if you're reading a lot of Harry Potter, a lot of young mm-hmm. adult fantasy, you know, which is more plot driven or very accessible. You know, like yeah. like to Tim's earlier point, I think mean, there's like almost no magic in yeah in, in Lord of the Rings. You know, I remember Guy Jax, you know, founder of Dungeons and Dragons, joking once, you know, like Gandalf would have been like a seventh level wizard because he doesn't. Oh. <laughs> You know, I was like, well, that's kind of just taking your game system and applying it to right. Because you know. T- Tolkien was not thinking. T- Tolkien was not thinking in these terms. Like, so like Sanderson me- has charts and measures out how all of his magic works, and, and that works is really important for how he tells his stories. But like, you can't apply that type of mentality to Tolkien because what they're trying to do is so totally different. Right. Yeah, I actually tried to differentiate the book from the movie because hmm. I don't when you read a book your mind is making up the images of the characters and you know what uh, Rivendale looks like mm-hmm. or and stuff like that and when you see the movie it's it's presented to you as this is what it looks like so you don't want to like sometimes it's totally different what your mind thought and what you see on the screen so I almost want to and, and some people might be disappointed in that and some people might think oh that's great but I almost want to. You don't want to ruin the book experience by over overlapping it with the movie. So I cannot think of them as separate. That's. I, I almost. Think it's interesting. Kind of to that point. I actually. I rewatched Ender's Game recently. I actually think it's a pretty good adaptation of the story. I mean, it it, it needs about another half hour to include some more of the like some more stuff. But like, it's not a bad. Uh, consider. Two, there's two things with that. They got to take out the actor. Who was in uh, 
Hannah Montana or whatever. Hannah Montana. The, the, oh, the, the guy who he first kills. Yeah, oh, Bonzo. Oh, he was. Horrible. I forget the actor's name. Yeah. Him is him casting him as, as as like the tough guy just did not work. Yeah, and then the second one is they had to do they should do the Bean book, the book where uh, oh, Under Shadow. Yeah, Under yes. Shadow. They, they if they do a, a you know a second movie that would be perfect. The, the thing was, was such a how long book. ago was that movie though? Twenty thirteen or fourteen? Yeah, that kid can't be. I mean, I don't know how much time passes book to book, but... Well, no, it's, written, it's a... The, I mean, the, did, did you read Ender Shadow? No. So, so there's... It's concurrent. It's yeah. concurrent. Yeah. So, the, the, with, with that book. Uncle Mike will talk more to this, so there's two, there's two uh, branching sequel plot lines. There's the sequel series that follows Ender and Valentine, which is even further in the, like, several hundred years after Ender's game, and it's about kind of the galactic kind of governmental system that gets set up afterwards. And then there's the Bean uh, line, which takes place immediately after Ender's Game, and is about the Earth politics and stuff. The difficulty with doing that in the movie is that they cut out the Peter and Valentine storyline. Right. And they're so pivotal in this. Exactly, movie. yeah. And that leads pretty cleanly into what do you all think is important in a book-to-movie adaptation across the board? That's difficult because you only have two hours to convey, or two plus hours to convey the amount of information you can receive in a book. Mm-hmm. To compress it down is really difficult. Actually, you're you're probably best at knowing that because you write screenplays. Well, you know, it's it's hard for me to think of because I can't think of a lot of movies that I've watched in the fantasy realm that were books first that were then adapted to the screen. Hmm. Harry Potter. Lord of the Rings, Narnia. Narnia, which I read all three of them. Yeah. I can't think of any other series. Aragon. Aragon. Hunger Games. Well, yeah. Yeah, I don't think that's... Hunger Games is sci-fi. But that's sci-fi. Okay. Um, Um, But but anyway, I, I think... I, I say I, I say Aragon. I'm, I'm just gonna. Say but those, are, those awesome. are the three that I. <laughs> and, and I think, Book or movie? Uh, movie. Yeah. <laughs> I think for me, it's it's the characters. You know, because to you know those are the, if you get them wrong, like Tim was saying about Bonzo, it can just destroy. Like if they had gotten you know Aragorn wrong, or they had gotten Legolas wrong, but I think they did such a good job casting. Well. Yes, that I it agree. doesn't take you out of. The, the book and that's why I think that to me is the most important thing that you get the characters right because for me well written uh, sci-fi and fantasy it's the characters that are the, the they most they did well with Sam too what's that yes Sam, Sam was great Frodo was great you know I, I mean none of them you're like oh you really missed that one um, so that to me is the most important thing to move from a book adaptation that maintains the fictional dream as as much really even more than the mm-hmm. The, all the CGI and what this what they create behind the scenes, and, and I think you remember the characters more. You know, like I couldn't tell you all the plot line of all the Conan books I read, and I think we read all of them and the Savage, but like we know who Conan is, and if you go get Conan right, in yeah, a Conan it's movie, well, it's a, and that's even Robert Jordan wrote Conan. He did, really, yeah, yeah. Huh. they were good too. No, that's I think, were, I think they were. I think they were better than the Howard. They were Conan. Yeah. But that, to me, again, is if you get the characters wrong, and those are the things that stick in your mind from a, a good book. Yeah, I, I, I'd agree. I think it, it, it yeah, I'd agree. Because that, I mean, that's, I, you could argue that's why Harry Potter ended up being able to last mm-hmm. movie-wise, because they, they had the core three from start to finish. And they were all um, great. And yeah, they were all great. 
Yeah. It's the same thing even with comic book movies. You know, you yes. get you get Spider Man wrong and, <laughs> and it's it's done, you know, or Captain Marvel, you know, whoever it is. Well, all right. And so, and that's uh, going with the Spider Man thing. That's why they, they nailed him. Well, in the with the same Raimi ones, they nailed him in the first two. And then you get certain parts of the third Sam Raimi film, and you're like, what are they doing to this character? I mean... <laughs> They're just kind of doing whatever they want with him without keeping a core. Yes. Without keeping his core and stretching it. It's just, it's not theirs. Yes. No, I, yeah, I agree. Um, I'm trying to think... Well, uh, I, I read something on Reddit the other day that was pretty funny, which, um, who, who's the uncle that died? Uncle Ben. Yeah, uncle. yeah they're, like, they're like, can you just stop making... Spider-Man remakes. I hate dying again. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Which is good because, like in the newest one, they just skip straight over that. Yep. Because mm-hmm. they're like everybody knows it. And then this is when we're talking about Batman v Superman. Oh, boy. And you're supposed to be giving us this Batman who's already established in the world. But wait, let's go back and kill. His parents again. Now, I that that being said, that's one of the scenes that I do I do really like how they did Batman's origin in that movie because they give it to you, but it's not like it's not like it's not like it's the first two third the first third of the movie is here's Batman's origin, mm-hmm. and, and then you know the origin part of BVS stops and that's when the whole rest of the movie. Thanks, but <laughs> I agree with you, Matt. That um, the, the the newest Spider-Man was a good move, given the context of the yeah. other movies that come out. Because the really, if you're not going to do a strict, strictly an origin story, the only story you can really substitute that with is a coming of age story, mm-hmm. which they did by reducing his age and no, no, which great, I think is a little more traditional to Spider-Man. Yes, no, the, supposed to be a little younger. Now the great thing they did with Spider-Man, and this is is that. It functions those his character functions both as his own character, but also giving Tony Stark a ment- a, a new mentor arc, and kind of giving almost a new kind of life for arc to his character, which is kind of makes for a really interesting dynamic. Who's this, Tony? Yeah, uh, Iron Man. Iron. Yeah, yeah I, you know it's funny that was like the first good superhero movie. I oh, think. Iron Man. Uh, the, the, the Dark Knight was that same year. I forget which well, one came it? out, but Dark Knight was a little before. But to me, Iron Man was actually better in the movies than the comic because there's only so much you can do with that character over years, you know, in, in the comic. But in the movie, he's a perfect character. Yes. He's a flawed hero, you know, and the, the suits just cinematically pop off the screen. Yes. Versus in the comics, you're like, oh, you know, big deal. He's got a suit. But in the movies, it was just really so well done, I thought, that that kind of kick-started the whole you know, Marvel-y comic Which again universe. goes back to what you were saying about making sure you get the characters right, right, you know, comic book. And I think that's something the MCU has across the board been great. They've had great casting on all those characters. I don't know that you could ever do Iron Man again because... No. Uh, well, well they, they have. have. was so good. They, 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 they do Wolverine again. They, cause right. Because you're, you're yeah. not going to replace... At least not for years, you're not going to find a Hugh Jackman replacement. Right. Problem there is, you know, he's almost typecast. For I mean, he's done the, so many other great movies. The, the Hugh Jackman, but, what you're saying? Yeah, Hugh, but like you see him on the street. How many times is he going to say they're all going to call him Wolverine? Yes, well, <laughs> yes, although he's a foot taller than Wolverine. Although, although to the typecast, they all say Hugh Jackman's usually typecast because you go from Wolverine to the Greatest Showman, <laughs> and there's a, they're a little different. Uh, <laughs> the characters are a little different, but yeah, and they actually make fun of him in Night of the Museum. 
Dude, uh, <laughs> Did you ever see Dude, that? Oh, I've seen the first one. No, this is one when they're in London. Oh, I, think I've seen, I don't think I've seen Lancelot that one. comes to life, and they, they go to a stage production, and Hugh Jackman oh, is on the stage, you know, doing a Shakespeare, funny. and he thinks that he's real, because he's King Arthur from oh. Arthurian time, <laughs> and he's like, Hugh, huge Ackman? That's not even a name. What's uh. your real name? He's like, <laughs> like, no, it's just a fake sword, and he pulls it, it's like a wooden sword, and, you know, Lancelot's going after, or no, it was King Arthur who's going was it Arthur Lancelot? I can't remember. But anyway, they were making fun of his name in, in that movie, which was which was cute. But no, I think you know. I don't know for you guys. You know, what is the the number one thing that you think is most important in an adaptation? I, I think getting the core of what the story is about is important. So, um, I I think. I mean, I'm trying not to harp on... I'm trying not to use Lord of the Rings as the example for everything that adaptations do well. But, now, Lord of the Rings also has... This story of Lord of the Rings isn't, isn't... It's not a super complex plot, so, like, there isn't a whole lot... Given that he got the budget he needed, it's not like he had to make a whole lot of chart, or, uh, tough decisions uh, as far as cutting things out and whatnot. But... Uh, so, for example, the the core of Harry Potter is about Harry growing up, and like it, it's not the ma- the magic stuff is cool and it's important, but like, the film stuck to kind of the core is him growing up, and they didn't really they they didn't really they made sure that that stayed the core of the story. Uh, whereas, if you look at say the Hobbit, the the core of the Hobbit book is kind of. Bill, Bilbo's going on an adventure. And it, Hobbit's a weird example because it's, it's not supposed to be. Or maybe the, you know, say this: the Hobbit is not supposed to be a complex story. It's a children's book, right? It's, and it's episodic. Yes, like each yes, it's a different, a completely different episode in his adventure that doesn't really tie in, other than what's at the end. Right. Yeah, and then and they and they try and the movie try to make it. They they really tried to make the core of the movie a Lord of the Rings prequel, which it's really it is a prequel to Lord of the Rings, but it's it's not really supposed to be read that way. Um, yeah, so I'd, I, that's what I would kind of say as far as, and I, that's why I would also say like H- H- Hunger Games there's a pretty there's a pretty direct adaptation, but like Ender's yeah. like Ender's Game they got the core of kind of like make of the kind of, the core of Ender's journey in the theme of what of like kind of what what happens when you make of when you basically make it force a child to make all of these adult decisions um and kind of what that i mean that's really the ending of the movie but like kind of that kind of core i mean yeah yeah and my my answer is going to be pretty much the same of uh, keeping to the core of what it's about my general rule of thumb is theme over plot and that, of course, that, that's somewhat just based on what series we're talking about. I'm not going to want them to take too many liberties with the Wheel of Time adaptation. There are certain right. plot points <laughs> that need to be hit. But stuff with more um, questionable choices in the book that I wouldn't mind seeing going away, like Dark Tower um, and even... Tom Bombadil. <laughs> Tom Bombadil. <laughs> if you've never read the books, you're like, what is this chapter? Yeah, so, yeah, yeah, so, yeah, yeah, that, yeah, that I agree with, because if you don't know... Like, the whole point is, like, oh, well, he resists the ring. Well, like, it's... Well, no, you know, it's, what's interesting, that, that whole chapter, so, some purists have been upset because they, you know, like, Tolkien's whole philosophy is he wanted to write mythology for England, you know? And yes. that, that was kind mm-hmm. of, you know, similar to the, the, ring, you know, the ring saga in, in Germanic, you know, mythology. 
And that Tom Bombadil is like the true only English type character hmm. in mm-hmm. like really? from Germanic, you know, all um, of, you know, the dwarves are all Scandinavian, you know. Yeah. I mean, all of that is is you know The Hobbits aren't the, well, I'm sorry, the, all the dwarves in the Hobbit oh. are Germanic. I mean Gandalf was a, a dwarf in, in you know hmm. the longer or whatever you know, whatever Finnish mythology. Or Norse or yeah. But it was much more Scandinavian, Nordic, Germanic based. And, um, you know, you have the, you know, the Rise of the Rowan or Anglo-Saxons, you know, which is, you know, a little different. But Tom Bombadil, they say, was like a true folk English character, and they just excised him from the movie. And, yeah. yeah. But to me, that when once you see the movie, like, you don't even think about it when you're reading the book. It's just like part of the... You see the movie, you go back, and you're like, "This chapter stinks." You know, like, yeah, it's has uh, nothing to do. It, with it is, it is a, a detour. For yeah, me, absolutely, I, for sure. But you're, I, I agree. Yeah, it's, a, it's an elusive uh, folkloric character that doesn't have basis in anything, but just have this general sense of this is what is whatever you want to say, British or English. That of everything else just. Is everything else is more derivative right. and more uh, traceable? Yeah. No, that makes sense. I I also want to mention the Born trilogy as far as adaptations go. That in terms of keep staying true to the true to the theme and source, because the the Born movies are almost have nothing to do with the plot of the books. <laughs> if, if you um, watch but, the movie, but, then read the book. You're very right, confused. but but I think that's okay because they they kind of did their own thing, but stayed true to kind of the like kind of him against like it's kind of born figuring out who he is what his past was and I think uh, a, a, almost a one to one relationship between a book and the movie was the James, the original James Bond Ian Fleming books hmm. the books are literally the movies are literally like you could be following along the book so like so like, so like Doctor No or something yeah or it is no, yeah. they are all like I, quite literally like you could just be really just hmm. reading the book and watching it on the screen at the exact same time like every scene was exactly what was like written in the book. Well, and I, and I think and I think part of that is is because he was such a, a spare writer. I mean, he was lean as a writer. Now it happens, particularly in fantasy. I think more than yeah. sci-fi. I mean, it's just. I mean, it's literally thousands and thousands of pages for some of these series, <laughs> and you're like, yes. how do you take these thousands of pages? when you've got 120 pages for a screenplay that you've got to turn it into mm-hmm. a movie, yeah. and of those 120 pages, 60% is white space, you know, yeah, and, you and, know and you have to somehow squeeze all that down, whereas I think back in the day, you could do that, you know, that now you've got um, these these fantasy novelists who are... How long can I just keep this going? Yes, um, Mar- I would say Ma- Martin with books four and five of Game of Thrones is the probably the a big offender as far as that goes. <laughs> um, yeah, but uh, Matthew, do you have anything did, uh, adaptation wise you think is important? Uh, well, I think most I think you guys hit on it, but I think one more thing is you have to get something that is adaptable, and I think there are some things that if, if you read it. I'm trying to think of a good example. I can't really off the top of my head. If you read it, you just know this won't work on screen. Hmm. And sometimes they get in these situations. They try to adapt something. It's like it only works in the book. Uh, somebody help me out. I can't think of an example. Well, I actually think what you said is true, and that's going to be the biggest challenge for Wheel of Time because there's so many branches. There's so many gray areas. Mm-hmm. There's so many. Mm-hmm. It's not black and white. It's these guys are supposedly good. These guys are supposedly good. And yet they kill each other. 
Mm-hmm. You know, it's yes. not. It's not. You're not on one line or the other. You're. It's like. It's like a twenty sided dice. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> you yeah. know. Yeah. You know, you have the bad all the way on this side, and the good really on this side, and there's so many shades of gray, mm-hmm. and, and, and yes. it's going to be so hard to like try to convey and that to and people think, in a movie. I think we're going to get into that situation with every. Series. There's so many web series and studios that are making stuff right now. I mean, half the time they're buying stuff so somebody else can't make it. Uh, but they're gonna. They're that's definitely true. Yeah, I mean yeah. that's 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 a strategy. You know, I don't want to get beat by this. So I'm just gonna buy it so you can't have it. Did, did Fox really think that they could make the best movie a lot of the time? <laughs> I don't think so. No. I think they just got greedy. Do they think they were ever gonna make the best fantastic or make make a fantastic more? Fantastic Four movie that's worth no, two just, hours of your time. They, they, they crapped out one just to keep the rights, and they fought. Yeah, well, I mean, the, those are the worst. It seems to be trends. Time. Like, like you had um, Armageddon come out at like the same time as like Space Cowboys or whatever, mm-hmm. which was like the same movie, just uh, two different. Uh, White House down. I think it was Olympus. Oh, you looked right. Clint Eastwood with the old people and Bruce Willis with the with the other people. But I, I think in general, that's that's the challenge you have is just the density of some of these, you know, like 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 even with Harry Potter, you know, when you get like her first book is pretty close to the, you know, yeah, the, I think the second but one, but then, is... then she start her books get bigger and bigger and bigger, and you have to start condense, you know, like you know, Quidditch was such a huge part of the third book. And there was like a couple snippets it's, of it, yes. mm-hmm. and then yes. and then that's it, you know. And it's like, oh, we're going to focus, which you have to make those decisions. But either way, you're going to upset certain amount of now, people who wh- like this was my favorite part of the book, and you went to the movie and none of it was there. Yeah. Or you know, this was my worst part of the book, and you put it all in, and I didn't want to see any of it. Uh-huh. So I think that's those a risk. the challenges that you know any of the filmmakers have is what to leave in and what to take. And out. what's interesting about Harry Potter, and this is kind of like what's weird is that. This is more of a nitpicky thing, but the fifth book is the longest book, but it's the shortest movie. A little too much condensing. Yes, Order of the Phoenix. And and yes, there's probably, Order of the Phoenix probably has the most stuff that can be kind of trimmed a little bit, but to make it the shortest movie is a little... (laughs) Yeah. yeah. Uh, I think, going back to the adaptability thing, but I think the worst adaptation ever... uh, the Last Airbender. Uh, mm. Avatar: The Last Airbender is one of the best Have television. You seen Percy Jackson. For yes, and, and, worst and, I, and I will argue Last Airbender is worse because <laughs> I, I finished Percy Jackson. I got ten. My general rule with most things is I like to kind of finish it. So if I'm going to have an informed opinion on it or whatnot, I got ten minutes in The Last Airbender and I I could not get through the rest. I'm like I am not spending another hour watching this just because it was so bad and. The, it's one of my favorite stories ever. It's one, the one I would argue the best animated show ever, and one of the best one of my favorite television shows. And it, it just they try to condense a twenty episode long form story into an hour and a half long movie, and it just it doesn't translate. And yeah, just 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 checking the boxes. Got to do this. Got to do that. Kind of like, uh, but they didn't the, even check the, the boxes. The prequel, right. <laughs> prequel for Star Wars. It's like okay, we have to explain it with this. We have to explain. Yes, and, and that's why so there's think, a lot of explaining. A yes, lot yes. Of there's explaining. a lot of explaining. And oh, by the way, we've got to add a character to provide some humor because we're not going to have R two D two. Oh, let's add this Jamaican <sighs> swimming creature who what? is the worst oh, character so of the, all time. One of the better movies not, was. The, where they took the exact same movie and cut out every scene with him. <laughs> <laughs> and if you if you follow it, 
he actually created the empire. Oh yeah, absolutely. because he was oh, the, one who, yeah, yeah. the one who called for the vote of no confidence, or did he call, or did he call for the vote? No, that, to it was them, one of the emergency powers. Emergency emergency powers one of the, the there's Emperor. a couple of them. Yeah, Jar Jar Binks did it. So thank you for Emperor Palpatine. Yeah, the, uh, I, I, the, and, the and the death of all the Jedi. What's well, Jar? I think if you you could have almost redeemed the entire character if you made it obvious that Palpatine was using him, that he saw him the whole way through and said, this is my moron. He's the one who's going to get me the power. Or better yet, he was a force projection from Palpatine. <laughs> he doesn't actually exist. And he's got a little claymation guy that he's like focusing, put him in different spots. But yeah. And then of course the Lego version just keeps killing him off. <laughs> like just keeps I, shooting him in well, his face. J.J. Abrams wanted to put Jar Jar's bones. Oh my god. <laughs> like the money of Falcon will be flying by. This is a Gungan skeleton right That's there. That's funny. <laughs> and and, and what's, what's disappointing about the prequels is that there is a really cool mystery in there. With, now while going into the whole thing, the Count Dooku, Sifo Diaz stuff that just really gets glossed over and is never really explained. And there's really, like, there's a really cool story within the prequels, but it is not the story that George Lucas decided to tell. Right. And instead, you get, like, again, there's really cool political stuff happenings, but that happens, but instead we get trade negotiations and an hour-long love story on a boo with some of the most cringeworthy scenes I've ever seen in a movie. Right, I mean, the, the, the pig bulls, you know, with him riding on them, was it awesome? She's saying, no, no, but I'm wearing my leather corset, and, you know, my... my like, like, no, this shouldn't robot happen, but I'm going to dress as, as sexy as I can, so, you know, and, you attempt know, your Jedi. There's also kind of the editing with that. There's the scene when he, like, force pushes her the pear, she doesn't actually take a bite out of the pear. They CGI'd out the part of the pear when she, like, moves her mouth. So it's <laughs> <laughs> and still, the thing that I hate, this is a Tim Lambert-ism that bothers me all the time, when in the Attack of the Clones, Dooku, like, throws that huge transformer it's about to crush the two oh, why don't they move, say it. why don't they move those two instead of catching <laughs> you know the good. seven ton thing how about the 300 pounds of flesh that you can just move <laughs> out of the way <laughs> you know? wait but, but then Dooku gets away oh, while he's holding up the thing ah but yeah, but uh, they they, they, they can't drives me nuts I didn't want to say it I didn't want to really but but wait but but that, that's a plot but but then you but then you you wouldn't have episode three because then the Clone Wars ends before. Starts. <laughs> I, I think that's the. I think that's the, the thing that's the most bothersome about the movie. He just was hitting plot points. Okay, I got to do that. There wasn't anything that grew organically out of the characters' actions. You know, it was like, okay, I have to have him burn in a you know a fire. He's got to be betrayed by Obi. You know, he's got to like get to yeah. all these points, and he just shoehorned them all in. That you're just like, okay, when when does this happen? When does that happen? No. And. You know, the Immaculate Conception with the Medicorians, which I'm still not sure. Oh, I, th- I think they... I, I, read, I follow the comic books, and I think they confirmed that it was Palpatine with the uh, Immaculate Him or all Plagueis, I think. Or, or, I, I think, I think they... Uh, <laughs> It was a, they, they it said was it was force projection. <laughs> <No>, they... <laughs> <laughs> is, is that part of the canon? You can impregnate with force projection. <laughs> hey, you know, maybe. Like, wow. No, they said it. They said it was Palpatine. Really How do you think the clones are made? <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, uh, kind of a, more of a uh, other question. Do um, what what do you guys think is in, important about? To have science fiction and fantasy in kind of today's world. Yeah, and what can they? What can it do that um, other kinds of fiction can't? 
quote unquote more traditional fiction. Well, it's it's, it's funny. I think I think fantasy, sci-fi, and, and if you add in comics to that, that's the new mythology of of our world. Is you know we we have you know the Greeks and the the Romans and the Norse and all of that, which I I found amazing. Actually, that was probably my first start into that because I love that mm-hmm. stuff. But people are like, okay, we're not going to buy that now. What do we buy? We buy these stories, these heroic stories. And now I think that that's what it offers is just something that's different from the world, whether it's sci-fi, something that could come true in the future, or fantasy, which wouldn't it be awesome if, if this mm-hmm. would happen? But I think it's it's the new mythology, you know, and that's what I think is so appealing to people. When you look at the top movies now, you know, and even the top books, not the, yeah. all in those, you know, yeah. the, all in those genres. Like, you don't have one of those movies as a tentpole for your production. You're company. not gonna. I mean, that yeah, that, that's what we want. It drives Christopher crazy. You know, <laughs> that, you know, you've got Pixar and Marvel and Disney. You know, like, Star Wars are all and, yeah. And Star Wars all under the same umbrella, but that's that's what I think. It's it's those mythological stories that, that go to the core of what we are as humans. People, yeah, but they're just being told in a different medium than you know. Bards of the day. Well, and I, and, and I think a lot of that can kind of help people to push through or help uh, deal with different things that they're dealing with in their own life, uh, kind of with different character stories uh, that they can kind of might be able to either relate to. Uh, I mean, I speak just because I think Sanderson does such a spectacular job of this in the Stormlight Archive, but. Um, but it is a lot of different things like Star Well, really anything that hits the Joseph Campbell hero's journey type stuff has like Harry Potter, which is any pretty much any sort of fantasy, especially, but a lot of sci-fi stuff too. Anything that starts hitting on the hero's journey stuff gets into kind of the kind of I'll call it the human arc, so to speak, and various things that humans deal with throughout their lifetime that kind of these examples and stories that we can kind of relate to and help us deal with things in our own lives. And in a way, going back to that, it's it almost makes it more accessible by putting it in a fantasy or a, a non, you know, not the real world. You know, it makes it more accessible to more people because you can kind of paint with broad strokes mm-hmm. there. You can tell mm-hmm. your story and more people can relate and access it as opposed to the real world where, you know, we all know the rules of the real world. And it kind of that kind of confines your storytelling ability is when you have to exist in this real world that mm. we all live in. And so when you go to a fictional world, a true fictional world, you can have your characters go on, you know, journeys and have things happen to, you know, quote unquote, ordinary people. How many people out in a farm <laughs> in the middle of nowhere are going to get swept up and all of a sudden be, you know, very important in an intergalactic battle or, you know, war? Uh, or in Nas. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he said a farm in the middle of the park. What does that have to say? swept up, so I... Uh, I, I think it's the exact same thing. I, I think it goes to the genius of Stan Lee that, that he recognized that and he wanted to make his characters relatable. Like, okay, they have these powers, but like when you had the archetypes, like the, the Batmans, the Supermans, the, you know, the DC verse, whereas his was like, these are flawed characters who have powers, but they've got decisions to make. And that's why I think his comics overtook DC, you know, Marvel, you know, the X-Men. I mean, they're oppressed. They're an oppressed minority, you know, mm-hmm. so you've got all those themes that you can you yeah, know, so kind of look at. Um, and I think that that's why the movies have done so much better, too, is 
the characters are more relatable, even though they have these these powers. They're dealing with issues, yeah, you know, that, that everybody mm-hmm. would deal with, except for Colossus in Deadpool. That was the worst. <laughs> do, do you have the same thing? Like he is not the Colossus from the comic books. Well, which you know, which Colossus? Colossus in, in Deadpool. In Deadpool oh, yeah. is not the comic book Colossus. Oh, like, I, I he only shows up in a couple comics. of the X Men. He was my favorite X Men, mm-hmm. and he only shows up in a couple of the. Um, who who has uh, who has the rights? The Warner Brothers has the rights to X Men. Well, Fox, Fox does, but Fox the merger. Does. Yeah. But then Dead, whatever it was. But he shows up a, a couple things. But he's like he's like a farm boy from Russia. Yeah, you know, like this eighteen hmm. year old guy. But in that one, he's like this. He preaches good, you know, you must be doing, must be on the straight and narrow. <laughs> right, right. But um, but anyway, I, I do think that's what Stan Lee, Matthew, was able to, mm-hmm. to tap into. Absolutely. was like, you, they don't want a Superman who is basically invulnerable except for this one thing. Yeah. You want them to be vulnerable to everything well, except for the where they have uh, power. The thing that kills me about Superman is like, oh, well, we need him to do this. Okay, now we can do shoot lasers out of his eyes uh, now I can do this and he's just like he just keep adding stuff to us so, so I, I completely agree about Superman and his abilities and I, I in general think that he is in general a, a boring character but um, I think there are certain things that obviously you know he, he does resonate in a certain way and uh, <laughs> sure, Johnny's you, pointing yeah. to me. <laughs> well, just because I don't know as much no, about Superman master, stuff. He's so master of disguise. So <laughs> glasses on. Him. <laughs> no one can tell <laughs> it anymore. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, but, S- Superman is my is my favorite superhero, and that that comes into the, the, there are two different sides to that. One is I really enjoy the times that he um, just kind of. Kind of routes everyone around him, mm-hmm. and yeah, he can kind of just do it. But the reason it resonates with me is because he's such, at least supposed to be. I can't speak for every adaptation. He's supposed to be a uh, humble character, a character that's afraid of his own power, and just when when he lets loose, it's because it's. It's it's the it's the old adage about um, f- fear the anger of a gentle man, hmm. um, which uh, that's kind of one of Rothfuss's things. Oh, it, it's it, something he would yeah. right. But um, and and that just it, it always felt very righteous to me, mm-hmm. and and mm-hmm. Th- that kind of uh, perpetuates his role as um, yeah, he has a lot of power, but he he is not this kind of, this guy that seeks after power. Um, he comes from the, the tradition of the immigrant who is, who's trying to get by. And so that's, I've always found that dichotomy between the, the, all the awesome physical power and the, that personality. Well, he, he doesn't need to do anything. I mean, his own dad even told him that he didn't have, he didn't have an obligation. No, have you seen Man of Steel? I, know, um, <laughs> I have not the had the privilege. The yes, it's, it's the first Henry Cavill one. <laughs> which, which I think actually was pretty well done. Uh, I, the, I thought, it's you better know. than BVS. Well, <laughs> yes. That? It's better, better than, than BVS. Superman. Uh, yeah. Well, and then, and then who was the one, was it Brandon Ralph, maybe? Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. So Superman was, Returns. Yeah, okay. Of Tomorrow. Um, yeah, he's, but yeah, I thought, I thought Adam. Ca- uh, you know, obviously Christopher Reeve was the original, and I saw you know that one in the theater as well. 
But I, I thought Henry Cavill did a, a, a good job. Well, one of the reasons that Ralph was nothing special is because it was partially trying to be a sequel to the to the Reeve movies, mm. and so it was just it so, was just ended up being kind of a mess. So, so almost because he's almost trying to play Christopher Reeve, that it's kind of is that what you're? Yeah, it's little? trying to be um, both its own thing and yeah. too much tied into what had come before. Yeah. All right. What other? Uh, there. Um... Well, I guess you know what are what are people's. Well, I guess we kind of are, are there any kind of critiques or cliches, so to speak, that you think the genre should kind of be careful of moving forward, or just or just beefs that you have with <laughs> things that different. Uh, I guess different authors are just cr- critiques that uh, you think the genre needs to avoid or be careful of, or even and, cliches that you like. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah or, or, or even cliches that you like that you think are cool. Well, I, I can I can tell you what what. I have not liked for, for quite some time, and, and I go into bookstores now, and it drives me crazy, is the supernatural teen <laughs> stuff. Oh, boy. With, with the whole Breaking Dawn stuff. So it's like, you know, my boyfriend is a vampire. Oh, my boyfriend, you know. And, like, the whole... I'm not going to say it's dumbing down, because I, I think fantasy has the ability to, to really bring up and raise up. But to me, that's, like, the best fantasy... Like, when they've turned... Yeah, and I I think it's great for younger kids because I was a little... But, like, I didn't read any of the Percy Jackson stuff, and, and so I can't really speak to that. But this whole, I'm going to take horror and make it about teenage angst. I'm going to take fantasy and make it yeah. about teenage angst. I'm going to take science fiction and make it about teenage angst. You know, and there's just whole so. sections on that. And I just, I mean, how how long can you mind that vein? You know, until but, until it starts making them money. Right, but. <laughs> right. So it's particularly that everything is being pulled into service for this one market. Right. Everything is is going to be about teenage angst. All of these different genres are I, just being used. Right. Is that so what you're that, saying? Yeah. So yeah. that whole cliche, that whole genre, sub genre, whatever it is, just doesn't. And I, I do remember when I first walked into it. I think it was Barnes and Noble, and I saw that there was actually a sign that said "Supernatural Teen Romance." And I I looked at. I stood at the sign like, "Are I'm like what? They're not hiding." <laughs> no, I'm, I'm like, "Are you?" I'm like, "This is now a." They're, they're branding this as a genre. <laughs> and it probably sells better than the regular fiction. Pro- probably. Heinlein when I can read about my boyfriend the vampire or yeah. Monster High or you know or, or whatever it is that they go to. Sometimes they actually make fun of it, which is good. Yeah, like, like Fred the Vampire Accountant. You know, <laughs> I, I, well, I think the lowest of that. I listened to the first Mortal Instruments book, and that was the lowest for me because it's different than Mortal Engines. Uh, yes. Yeah. Yeah, because, yeah, it is. It's not. I Mortal Engines was really cool, but the movie was horrible. No, they so just. Mortal Instruments is different. Yes. Okay. I forget the uh, author, but's name. Because I listened to Audible. But, um, it was basically, it took all of these cliches that other. Based, my biggest problem is it took all these things that all these other creative people had already done better. It had vampires, all this stuff. It, it basically took all these tropes that Harry Potter, Star Wars, and, uh, like, Lord of the Rings or whatever had already done. It was almost a, the Star Wars plot. Like, I called several of the twists at the beginning of the book, and it, that's exactly what happened. And it, it was just very derivative without... And you can take things that have been done before and do them in a different way, but it was just very derivative of... And I guess, I, I guess I'll say that's my kind of main thing, is when you have all those that take these... I, my main issue is when you have 
creators that take things that have already been done but don't try to do a different spin on it uh, and that's kind of my like kind of big thing and that's I guess the main book that I've read that I kind of didn't had an issue with I as far as that with that, but in some cases it can be beneficial if you if you're starting off with a base of okay elves shoot arrows Dwarves are short, and they have, you know, you don't yes, have to no. explain well, some stuff. Well, yes, you no, can kind of right. jump into so the middle my, of, my, my ex- uh, you can jump into the deep end without having to right. go so into so I'll say the best wrong. example of that is Dresden, because Dresden takes all these things that already exist in all these different mythologies, but he does it in a really cool way, and he weaves them together in, like, kind of this tapestry that it, it just, it, it works with what he's trying to do. Now, he's also, like, kind of tongue-in-cheek with certain things, that like kind of he's well, he's self aware he of what he has, he's doing. He has humor that that really helps. Like, yeah, he doesn't so, take himself super seriously. But but like it, he also a dinosaur and, and well, it's riding but, its back, now, which is <laughs> it's, which is awesome. But like but he does he still manages to get kind of heavier with certain now, is things. Sci-fi or fantasy? It's it's urban fantasy. It's Harry Dresden is a wizard detective in Chicago. Got it. They made um, a TV show out of it. It didn't last more. It's not series. bad. It's not I, I great. Didn't like who they cast but that much, but yeah, it's um Paul Blackthorne. Yes. Yeah. The thing, I think uh, they're doing it again. Arrow? They from are. Arrow. Yeah, yeah, from Arrow. Yes. And yeah, Battlefront Two. I think they're doing okay. another. They're, they're <laughs> trying to do a Dresden series again. Yeah, I did see that. I Amazon that. or Hulu or someone. Yes. Yeah. Oh, but he it. hasn't written much. It's been a while since the last Dresden book came out. And when he did the fantasy, the Codex Lure is really good. Really, I, that's good. really that's a, one of the most one of the most original. I really I've like that magic system and stuff. So the idea for that, real quick, kind of came out as one of his students. I think had child, he said, "Give me two things to write about, and I'll do it." And he they they told him to combine Pokemon and the Lost Roman Legion. But it's really it really works. It's really a cool. It's not like the most deep thing you'll hurry but it's a really cool yeah it's a really fun yeah it's a really fun series you know what i wonder and i I haven't read it anywhere i wonder if anyone has optioned the amber series Hmm. rogers alazi i don't know if you guys have ever read that but it was one of my favorite series growing up and um i mean the, the the possibilities are endless and you read it tim didn't you oh yeah i mean that to me just i like how he took the the when they actually started getting like when he took Merlin and he said, okay, what if we made this supercomputer and he designs this whole supercomputer, but it wouldn't work on Earth, but he can go to any dimension. So he, he, he takes himself mm. to a dimension in which this supercomputer will work. Right. So, so the, whole, no. the, whole, the whole theme or the, the whole background of the uh, Amber series is you have like a royal family of what, like a dozen, 15. Right. Um, you know, Amber and Chaos. Amber and Chaos. So the one is the family of order and then there's you know, the courts of chaos, and in between are all manners of possibilities that are called shadow worlds. And they're the only ones who can actually travel mm. between the dimensions I, and I, all the different worlds. And it's an infinite number. And it's an infinite number, and you have to... And they can they can control the shadows, and it starts with Coram, who's the, the main hero, I, who's lost his memory of who he was, and he ends up on present-day no. Earth, and all these things start happening. But, you know, like in terms of a series... He gains, you know, knowledge of who he was, and then they can manipulate it. And the, you know, these characters are, are, I think, are really well drawn. And you know, one of his brothers wants to just 
impart chaos and destroy uh, I need everything. to reread, because I think I read that a long time ago. I think I borrowed it from you, but I need to reread that, because I, th- I think I'd appreciate a lot of that stuff more now. Yeah, and, and so that, to me, again, is one of those things that they'll, they'll end up mining. Heinlein was another one. You had <laughs> said that, you know, you they kind of got you into it, and I was like, I'm, I'm amazed that less of his things have actually made it to the screen. And, 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 the, writer, like, oh, yeah. and the writer like Philip K. Dick who is more of an idea person than a, than a novelist, his stuff gets adapted all the time. That's, pro- that's not probably not a coincidence. And, and, but Heinlein stuff, I was like, why haven't they made now, I, I some, also, of, these, well, some well, of these things? Let me, you know. let, let me jump in one more thing before moving on. Is I actually think that there's going to be a new um, series, TV series out there for Lit RPG. Because, let me explain this. You have these older people who used to play D&D. D&D has a revitalization. Like, there's kids yeah. in teenage years yeah. who are doing this, right? Yeah. And then they're actually, because of Twitch and all this online social media and stuff like that, there's people who watch people play D&D. Like, I mean, they're actually, they're recording huh. themselves playing That's, D&D. I know and, that. and you you also have these celebrities doing it. Yeah, there's yeah, a celebrity. Like, Harmon Quest, you ever do that? Rothfuss yeah. does a lot of that so stuff. What yeah. Lit, so yeah. what lit RPGs are is... It's taking basically a D&D adventure and you're writing about it. That's what almost lit RPGs are. There's definitive rules about everything. And I almost think that because you have an audience now who's watching this stuff, taking these lit RPG books and making them is just the next transition, you know, of, you know, this, because you can go forever. Because you just have these definitive rules and it's like a series. Okay, mm-hmm. what are these characters going to do this week? And you know, I just I find that that's gonna, that that'll be an interesting. Well, is it turning um, books into RPGs or the other way around? Books into RPGs. You, oh, actually, no. I'm sorry. This is this is exactly where it was where I was, I, I was meant to go, but I didn't go. Uh, <laughs> so so you have way to draw that out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I didn't pay him for that either. No. So what the whole idea here is these. Um, I'm reading this this series by Kong right now called The Land. And there's always some way that someone's either trapped in a world or they go into full immersion into VR to get into these worlds. And they're all definitive, uh, exactly what rules what. But what it is is the worlds are so great, you want to play that as a game. Okay. So what, what the idea here is is you have a TV show that follows these guys. You have a game that people can actually play in that world, mm-hmm. like an RPG mm-hmm. or MMO. Um, you know, And then you also have... You know, Twitch, where people, where it's also can be like role playing. So you have like, and, and it's just, it's a fully fleshed out world that you have all these different uh, mediums in which you can enjoy it. You know, you can make your own story up with your friends. You can watch it on TV, them adventuring in the world, and it's a, it's a growing world. You know, as things change, and you can have it like as things change in the video game, it adjusts what's happening in the TV show, or vice versa. You know, a hmm. castle is destroyed in the TV show. You go into the video game, and that castle is destroyed. That's they tried something yeah. like that a few years back. I forget what it was called, but it was a video game that ran concurrently with a TV show, and it was supposed to be that in-game, in-show events and in-game events that work would have. I guess no, because I think didn't hear about it. I, I think both the show and game were terrible, just okay. on, as a show and as a game, and then you try to put it together, it didn't work. But the attempt has been made, and. Hopefully, it means they're not 
since that one failed, hopefully it doesn't mean they won't try it again. But I, I mean, just love the idea of a, of a living world. Like, mm, you know, like a lot of these games, world, a lot yeah. of these games you go in, my experience is going to be exactly your experience, even though you started three years later. Yeah. You know, you're, gonna, you're, gonna, you're on rails. Yeah. You know, you're going through this. But if it's a dynamic world where mm. what, what John does or what Matt does change that world, when you start three years from now, those changes oh. have been made. Yeah. You know, that, that seems to me to be the natural progression of what I like to call franchise variations, the mm. Game of Thrones Monopoly, the Game of Thrones Clue, the thing, just, just taking a franchise yeah. and using it to bolster up an existing game. Whereas this seems to be more all about the particular what draws you to these worlds in the first place which is the kind of more creative organic shifting type games that that, that are RPGs and D&D yeah. so mm. no. that, that that makes a lot more sense than what we've been doing so far no, it's interesting uh, so I think probably for the um, we'll wrap up here soon I think for the last uh, kind of thing I want to go around uh, I want everyone to say a I'm wondering Books or movies or TV shows or something in the sci-fi genre that either we'll we'll say so, something that you either think somebody that's not typically into science fiction or fantasy might enjoy, or and or kind of just your favorite kind of or few favorites in the genres. So something that's kind of a more accessible thing that or a gateway, so to speak, into the genres or kind of you and or your kind of favorite pieces of work in these genres well um i know uh, someone that is not like the biggest uh, high fantasy fan but um really got pulled into the game of thrones tv show because there's so little of it that and certainly at the beginning yes, there's the so beginning. little of mm. it that's that's hard in your face fantasy mm. and more just creates this alternate world that um, in, in which uh, fantastical elements play a part, mm. but that still makes it more accessible for the someone who just wants mm. to kind of flirt with those elements as opposed to dr- draining, drowning themselves in it. No, drowning is about the right word. No, you know no, that, I mean? no, no, that yeah, that's good. Yeah, yeah, the kind of that, that accessibility. I mean, the the plot of Game of Thrones might. Is takes a little getting into right, it, but right. the, as far as the fantasy elements of it, it's not like oh, you have to know exactly how many fireballs they can shoot when they're can they they're this level or that kind of semantics. Right. So um, yeah, that, I, I think in general, just Game of Thrones is not a real heavy magic. Yes, you know, mm-hmm. there's just not a, as much in that. You know, yes. if you took out some of the fantastic elements, it would be. An interesting story on its own mm-hmm. of political intrigue and interesting characters and kingdoms just set in a different world. You know, that, like I said, there's not a whole lot in my yes. mind that, that he wrote that's, you know, s- you know, sorcery fantasy. Yes, fantasy. as the series progresses, it becomes more prominent. But even then, you could tweak certain things to, or to not. It, it, you wouldn't lose the entire story by taking out the dragons. <laughs> right, right. So, well... If you're talking a gateway for people who typically don't read fantasy or sci-fi, I think a perfect series would be um, Superpowers by Drew Hayes. Because it follows... <laughs> it it, it kind of goes with the Harry Potter. You know, you start off young and you follow people through their schooling. Mm. And this is exactly the same thing, except you're starting... They're, they're older, they're, they're college kids. But there's... And they have powers. 
and they're, you know, the government, like, they're basically going through a school to try to become heroes. Because mm-hmm. it's not like, they, the world knows these, there's such things as heroes, but you can't just be a hero because there's inherently, you know, a lot of moral decisions you have to make, a lot of damage you can create, a lot of people you might have to kill and stuff like that. So they just don't let anyone be a hero. You have to, like, go through, you know, and let's say 150 people start out as a freshman class and, and 20, you know, make it through. Mm-hmm. And it's not like you're dead or something afterwards. You just, you know, you get your mind wiped or something like that. And, but it's it's really, really good because not every – what it actually does is there's different tiers of level. Like you have the people who can control their powers who are really well thought of. And then you have these powered which can't really control their powers and they're like below the low. Like normal people are above people that, that can't control their powers. Mm-hmm. So you have like, you know – and, and – and, it's just amazing, and then it's and then you have they they, they push push the bounds. I mean, one of the biggest superheroes, Titan. You know, he's invulnerable to anything that he's ever been exposed to. He's gay. So so <laughs> I'm going to jump in here. Superhero is fantastic. Titan is probably my favorite LGBT character in any story I've like. Yeah, seen. I mean, not that there's like a plethora of options, but like I really Dumbledore, like. Thank you very much. <laughs> <laughs> but I really, really like how Drew Hayes writes his story. Yeah, but um, what's amazing is, and you know, his career ended, but it didn't make him a worse person. He, you know, he rose above it, and he still wanted to help, and he had his family, he is, and, he, and he, they even had a whole uh, sub book just for basically him. And, and what, now, what's great about Titan is that his. His story is well. I'll say Titan and all the other characters is that their plot lines are all determined on them growing as people. Yeah, it's, uh, that would be in my mind. That would be a great transition. If yes, you, because it it's 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 almost nine hundred two one zero ish in, in a little. I, way. No, I I, <laughs> I I second superpowers in every way. I think what it does so well is that it, the superhero stuff is really cool, but. It also, he really gets the, hey, these are just a bunch of kids in college part really well, too. Mm-hmm. And kind of the things that they go through and, like, the fights are awesome. And the way he talks about the powers is really cool. But the characters are also super, are really interesting. Their interactions are really cool. Uh, and they just, the entire movie is about them growing, or books are about them growing. Yeah, like, it, it's, it's almost like, so, there's four books. Each book is a year at school. So, in that sense, it's similar to Harry Potter but it's it's different because it's like if Harry Potter started when they're 17 or 18 and goes until they're uh, but it's believable too yes it's not like written so fantastically that you couldn't place yourself in that world well now the, the different well no, no, no I was just gonna say I think that that's why for me it would be Harry Potter you know uh, even though I read that as an adult after I had gotten into the whole fantasy genre and and the reason is because you know, the whole narrative spine is that it takes place on Earth. So there are so many things about it that anybody who's reading it can relate to. It just posits that, you know, there are people on Earth and have been here for a very long time who can use magic. And they have their own schools and they have their own society and, and it's separate. So that's really the only leap of faith you need to to enter that world. Whereas in most fantasy, you have to go to a completely different world. You have to know the rules. You have to know the history. You have to know... That's why I think Harry Potter is a gateway is mm-hmm. so easy for people to get into the genre because mm-hmm. they don't have to understand the rules of fantasy and that this is a completely different world. There's different, you know, different races. There's different, ma- you know, like the, the four main things you need to yeah. have you know, like to be a fantasy story 
It's just, hey, this is Earth, just a little different. So, dragons. Well, and, and, well I understand and, it, but I mean, so. it's it's something that is again going back to the relatability of of a, of a reader or a viewer is, oh, I know Earth, I know Earth, and this is just. A well, I would say Harry Potter is good for kids to transition. I don't. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, my seven, eight, nine year olds love it, and that to me is if you are somebody who's new to the. Uh, you know, who has never been exposed, that that is to me but the easiest. I, I'd say it's kids, but it's also you, you don't you don't become the best selling author of all time by only appealing to kids between the ages mm-hmm. of like six and twelve. No, no, uh, <laughs> Julia, one of Julia's best friends and godmother to our youngest reads the series every year. It's every this is year, fantastic. That's wow. That's there's, there's there a lot. Other good she books out there. She just loves it. There <laughs> are. Uh, Let's see. I'm trying to think. Uh, good. Most. Or other media. Any I, media. I, I'm trying to any think. Media. Star Wars. <laughs> yeah. Um. Some anime I guess or... if, you're, if you're looking to take a deeper dive into like the Star Wars universe, start with all the animated stuff. Um. Particularly, the Clone Wars is good, but I would say Rebels. Oh. Is. Mm. Johnny, Johnny wants to have a fight over this. <laughs> but I just think if you're taking your first steps into the larger expansiveness that is the Star Wars, either the old expanded universe or the new expanded universe, um, that's a really I think Rebels is almost an easier place to start. Yes, I agree with that. Than the Clone Wars. Yeah. Clone Wars, you got to have a little more foundation in Star Wars. So if you do Rebels, or if you look at the old expanded universe, um, go play Knights of the Old Republic. Oh, yes, great. please do. <laughs> um, really great it's it's the best Game. Star Wars story, in my opinion, to come out between um, Return of the Jedi and The Force Awakens. Oh, I think um, it's better than Force well, Awakens. And I, and I heard <laughs> that there was a thought that um, oh, what was the name of the director who did uh, the Last Jedi? Ryan Johnson. Ryan, Ryan Johnson. That he's he's been given uh, the ability to do a new trilogy, but he's not doing Knights of the Old Republic, and which I is fine that, because that needs to be a TV show, not a trilogy. Not a, yes. You will, the the cliffhangers and the plot points won't line up in a three part movie series, um, but I think those are two really good places to get in. You can start from there because like I really like Nice Little Republic, especially it drops little like nuggets of everything else that's out there. And if you want to follow any of those down the rabbit hole, you can and you can get lost for the rest of your life. Yeah, I would agree. So for, for me, I'd say as far as the accessibility uh, component, I think. I'd probably say Ender's Game is probably what I would suggest as the kind of gateway into sci-fi. I would love that that would be science fiction specifically. It is pretty heavy on the sci-fi stuff, but the core of the story is just about this kid. Like you, you could have Ender's Game could take place in say a military school in the United States, and the enemy is Russia or like Germany. So like, or so the core of the story is still this kid, the, these kids that are forced to grow up faster than like they norm than like they would in our world. So it's and Ender is from Earth. Yes, yes, and Ender is from Earth, and so it's uh, so while there are heavy sci-fi science fiction elements, the core of the story is these kids that are kind of c- competing against each other and kind of, uh, kind of in that uh, kind of setting. I think my nephew Christopher would dominate Ender's game. He'd hack into the computer, he would get in charge of everything, and within three weeks he'd be winning every single Oh, he, 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 he would be Ender. The problem, he, yeah, he, he, he would try, yeah. And I'll bet you, even if he knew 
that it wasn't a game, he would still do everything that it <laughs> Well, yes. Yeah, he... <laughs> <laughs> uh, now, I, I, I do have to pitch this, because uh, uh, the Stormlight Archive is my current favorite series in general, just because I think... And again, we'll, we'll be doing many episodes on the Stormlight Archive, but I just think that um, while his light... His language isn't the best. I think that the story that Brandon Sanderson is telling is really compelling, uh, and that the these characters that are kind of learn, uh, growing and learning more about them, themselves as they're rediscovering or discovering these these magics that they will need to use to defend the world. Um, I don't think we heard from John. But, no, yeah, yeah, Game of Thrones. Oh, Game of Thrones. Oh, yeah, that's where we started. All right. Oh. So, yeah, and it's, it's funny. I just I just had uh, Charlotte run up to get my iPad because I think I actually have that and it started the Stormlight Archive. Oh, yeah. And, and then just dropped oh, it. Awesome. I don't it's, know. I, don't no, know the, I, I will say, I will like that my asterisk to a Stormlight Archive is this, the same asterisk I would say if I were to just say we any larger series in that it is fantastic but know what you're getting into this is a mm-hmm. this is a series of books that are as Sanderson would put it door stoppers <laughs> just in terms of their physical they style aren't, they aren't first rodeos no this is not, not a they're no. no they're and not the, and the other problem you're going to have is that they're not done well, well, yes. Three of seven. Yes. Mm-hmm. Well, three so, of ten. But ten? yes. All right. Wow. Boy. Yes. No. Yeah. So you're you're going to be waiting a long time between books. Yes. So just yeah. kind of know know what you're getting into with that. Yeah. And he's doing other series at the same time. No. So I, like, he, he, he never stops. Sanderson he is, never stops. I will argue. I will until someone can. If someone shows you something else, great. But I would say he's the most prolific writer currently writing. That, that's not using kind of ghost writers or other people to write. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but just because he, you know, cause he recharged, Sanderson recharges by writing other stuff. That's not his kind of writing different types of series, but, um, I think, so anybody have any other topics or other things that they comments they would want to make? Um, no, but no, I just want to, I just want to thank you for inviting us on to this you podcast mm-hmm. and, and talking about all of this. It was awesome. No, and I can't wait to hear all of your other it was great to have you. Yeah, and thank you. Out. Yeah, thank you. This has been a really, really cool to get everyone's uh, kind of opinions and uh, views on lots of different uh, stuff in the genres. So, all right. So this has been a special panel discussion. Of, so, thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.